Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at about 1 a.m. on Sunday night slash Monday morning. Uh, Today was a really cool day for the church. Hannah talked about the Ethiopian eunuch, which, you know, I'm sure is everybody's favorite thing to discuss in church. (laughs) On the surface, it sounds like it's not going to be great and it's maybe like a really weird part of scripture but honestly it was great it was it was one of the most powerful messages i think she's done about inclusion and who gets to be a part of the kingdom of god and if that's something that you're interested in you're gonna love it so stay tuned i'm, I'm just gonna uh, annoy you with announcements for like one minute we are growing and that is amazing thank you to everyone who is a part of what we are doing, everyone who has come out uh, recently. We've had so many first-time guests. That's been awesome. So just thank you for supporting us. Uh, Along with that growth, we could really use some help in a few key areas. Um, We need some volunteers, uh, even just once a month. It's super low-key. Shoot us an email to hello at diffchurch.com, or you can just go straight to diff.church and fill out a form there. We would love to have you in the tech department uh, as part of setup or teardown, a welcomer. You could help out with coffee. There's all sorts of cool things. And maybe you've even got an idea of something you could volunteer for that I'm not even thinking of. Again, you can email us hello at diffchurch.com or just go to diff.church. Another thing you can use both of those for is we are going to be very involved in St. Pete Pride in June. And we could use some volunteers to help man a booth, uh, pass out stickers, um, or just to come be a part of a really cool event and uh, have some fun. Um, So again, email hello at diffchurch.com and just let us know that you are interested in more info about Pride. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into Hannah's message. I don't really have a uh, silly title about the message itself, but since it's the first Sunday in May, we might as well call this, it's gonna be May. So uh, let's talk about the Ethiopian eunuch, but first. Before I launch into, you know, my most wonderful explanation of the Bible to you, um, normally we would just read it and I have a special exciting treat for you. Our, one of our favorite people, Erin, is going to read the scripture for us today. You can come on up. I'm so excited. Everybody give her a hand. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. That's fabulous. Thank you. Have any of you heard this story before? All right, cool. Okay. It's not a very commonly preached passage. I've heard a couple sermons on it. I love this story, um, even though it is a bit strange. Um, It's so rich and so multi-layered, and I feel like it fits exactly with what we're trying to do here at Different. So we're going to talk about it today. Um, We have two main characters in the story. There's Philip, and we have this Ethiopian. Now, Philip is actually one of seven Greek-speaking Jewish Christians who were appointed by the 12 disciples to tend to the needs of the widows, the orphans, in the Greek community of the church. Um, If that was a lot of words, you can read Acts 6 if you want to go deeper into that. But basically, Philip is appointed to this position of importance. He's known as Philip the Evangelist. My favorite fact about him is he had four daughters who were well-known as prophets in the Christian community, which I find fabulous. And so we have him, and then we have this Ethiopian. And Philip is kind of walking along the road between Israel and Egypt. He's in the desert. He comes across this chariot with our other main character. And I have a picture um, of the Ethiopian. This is by a gay Christian artist named Jeremy Whitner. And I love, I just love it. I think it celebrates the Ethiopian. There's a lot of artwork, as you can imagine, of most of the Bible. Um, But specifically, this story seems to have a lot of beautiful artwork, but it it often has like a racist undertones or colonial undertones. And this one, I feel like it really just celebrates the Ethiopian. Um, and if you notice, the halo around his head are in the pride colors. So you can just leave that up for a while while we talk about him. So what do we know about him from this story? We know he's in charge of the treasury for the queen of Ethiopia. We know he's traveling by chariot, which means he's a very important person. Uh, We know he actually possesses a scroll of Isaiah, which attests to his wealth because they didn't have like printing presses. So somebody hand wrote the scroll, all of Isaiah. Isaiah is very long. And he had a copy of it. And we know that he's a eunuch. So Luke, the writer of Acts, refers to him as a eunuch five times. So he really wants us to understand that he's a eunuch. Well, what was a eunuch? (laughs) So eunuchs were generally castrated before puberty. Great Sunday message. (laughs) I bet this is what you expected to be talking about today, right? So in contemporary usage, the word eunuch typically means a castrated man. However, in ancient times, it had a bit of a broader definition. It was usually that. Sometimes um, it would also have been either gay men, possibly intersex folk. It was a bit more of an umbrella term. And eunuchs had three major roles in society. So it was physically impossible for them to father children, usually, um, or because of their preferences, it was highly unlikely that they would father any children. So they were often employed as military, domestic servants, or treasury officers. Why? Okay. Without the responsibility of children, it was believed that they would just be fiercer soldiers. 
you don't have kids, who cares about your life, I guess? <laughs> you just fight harder. So we've got the soldiers. We, they were also considered safe to employ around women, specifically in the palace or in um, like very rich families who could afford things like that uh, because they were very unlikely to father children. And then they were trusted with money because they didn't have any reason to amass hereditary wealth. They weren't gonna have kids, so they weren't gonna pass their estate along to anybody. This particular Ethiopian was a court official to the queen of the Ethiopians. And if you recall your Old Testament history, the queen of Sheba, who went to meet with Solomon and made this alliance when Israel was at its height, that was the queen of the Ethiopians. So this is a very rich, very powerful country. Not modern day Ethiopia, think of a much larger space of land below Egypt. That's what we're referring to. It's very wealthy, very sophisticated place. And Candace was the title of the queen mother. Now we don't know if it was actually her name, like her name was Queen Candace, or if it was Candace the word being a title for the queen. There's arguments both ways, we don't know. If anyone's like, oh yes, we have definitive evidence. No, they don't. Um, it can be interpreted both ways. But this particular Ethiopian was in charge of all of her money of a very wealthy and very sophisticated nation. And what's even more remarkable is he knew how to read and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Not only can he afford his own scroll, he knows how to read it. And you might be like, well, who cares? Reading is a very valuable skill in that time. Most people did not know how to read. And you might think, well, of course he knows how to read because he's the treasurer of Ethiopia. Like you would think he would know how to read. Yes, but I, this scroll that he has is written in Greek, which is not his language. So he is educated enough to know how to read Greek, which is not his native tongue. Very impressive, this guy. So the Ethiopian had traveled to Israel to worship. He's clearly devout, he's motivated, and he's a court official of the queen. So he has power, he has education, he has status. And perhaps he got as far as the outer courts of the temple before someone stopped him and said, Deuteronomy 23 makes it very clear, you're a eunuch, you've been castrated, you cannot be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. And I just imagine that must have stunned him. Like he'd heard about the God of Israel. This is Israel's main export, is their religion. So he had heard about this God of great power and great mercy who is known for setting captives free and who is known for giving outcasts a home and who is known for welcoming the stranger, but not him. Can you imagine just like the loneliness or the shame that he must have felt showing up to worship? Because it's very likely that he had been castrated before, he, before puberty, before he ever had a thought, before he ever had any choice. That choice was taken from him, but still he was a very important person. So that choice was taken from him, but he still belonged somewhere. He had power, he had wealth, he had education, he had prestige, he had his own chariot, he had his own people traveling with him. Until he came to the temple where he would have just been turned away as nobody. He's a believer in Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, though likely he himself was not an official Jew and he'd come such a long way to worship. He's so dedicated, but according to the laws of exclusion in Deuteronomy 23, a eunuch is excluded from worship in the temple. And actually the temple by its very architecture was set up this way. So at the very outer perimeter, you have 
the court of everyone. So Gentiles, non-Jews, dogs, anybody could come in, no problem. And then you move inward and you get to the court of the women where Jewish women could go, but no Gentile man or Gentile woman. And then you get even further in and you have the court of men. So Jewish men could go, but not Jewish women and definitely no men of any other ethnicity or any other religious preference, only Jewish men. And then you get even further into the temple and you have the space where only the priests could go, the holy space. And then even further, you have a teeny tiny place called the holiest place, the holy of holies, where only the high priest could go and that only once a year. Side note, this is why it's so powerful in the New Testament. If you recall or perhaps remember this being preached on like an Easter sermon, this phrase, the veil was torn when Jesus dies, that is a, the veil is like this heavy curtain in the temple that separates the holiest place from the regular holy place where all the priests could go to the little tiny place where only the high priest could go. There's this thick curtain. And it says when Jesus died, that curtain was ripped in half. Why does that matter? Because it is Jesus' death literally removing the barrier to access from God to everyone else. Just imagine all this. The Ethiopian had traveled such a long way, perhaps reading Isaiah to worship Yahweh. Maybe he knew he was gonna be turned away at the temple. Um, but he just wanted to get as close as he could. Or maybe he didn't know, and it was just a complete shock to him that people were like, I'm sorry, you can't be here. So he starts his journey back home. Maybe he's sad, maybe he's confused, maybe he's exhausted by hearing Deuteronomy used against him to keep him out. So he's reading the Holy Scriptures, but he's not reading Deuteronomy, he's reading Isaiah. And Isaiah has a more hopeful word because not only does Isaiah announce that God will recover the remnant of God's people from Ethiopia in Isaiah 11, he also promises that the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths will be welcome in the house of God and they will receive a name better than sons and daughters in Isaiah 56. So which is it? I'm gonna hand this baby off. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Love you so much. <laughs> is it Deuteronomy or is it Isaiah? Is he in or is he out? <gasps> You're out. <laughs> Bye, baby. <laughs> I'm gonna take this off because it's hot. If you've ever carried a baby on your back, it's like having a small, like, furnace. <sighs> Especially in Florida. So is it Deuteronomy or is it Isaiah? Is he in or is he out? Is he welcome in the house of God or is he not? If he only has the written words of scripture, it could be argued either way. So what he needs is someone who not only knows scripture, but knows the God of scripture. He needs someone to teach him who's felt the embrace of God, who can read this ink on a page in the warm light of God's spirit. And here's Philip walking next to his chariot, just ready to explain and share the good news with this stranger. And he hears the Ethiopian reading Isaiah, at the time, it was very customary to read out loud. Reading silently did not become a thing until like 300 CE, AD, after Christ. Um, and it was probably popularized because monks had to do it. <laughs> so they were like, why would you read out loud and disturb my peace? Go read silently to yourself. So reading out loud was this thing. It's not weird. He's just in his chariot reading out loud. 
Of course you would read out loud if you could read because other people couldn't read. So everyone wanted to hear what you were saying. So he's reading out loud. Philip hears him. And I hear so many times, maybe not so many, when I have heard this passage preached, I hear that Philip is just being so delightful here. He's being so inclusive. He's being so open. He's being so wonderful. But I think the inclusion in this story actually goes both ways. So just like imagine a diplomat in Washington, D.C., in his like fancy Lexus or whatever, just inviting a pedestrian into his car to have a Bible study. I would not do that. <laughs> you don't know what you're gonna get. And yet this Ethiopian takes Philip off the side of the road. Philip's like, do you know what you're reading? He's like, no, come explain it to me. The story, it seems thick with the presence of the Holy Spirit because he, the Ethiopian's been rejected from the temple, but he has all of this status and Philip has nothing. He's just a person with no wealth, no status, no importance, walking on the side of the road. And the eunuch's been reading this passage in Isaiah that describes someone who like a sheep was led to slaughter and who in humiliation justice was denied him. And so the Ethiopian asks Philip, about whom is the prophet speaking? Himself or someone else? Who is Isaiah talking about? And this is what the text reads. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And so to the question about who is this talking about, Philip instantly replies, he's talking about Jesus. So he tells him all about Jesus. And with his question, the Ethiopian almost certainly means, is this only about Isaiah and his situation? Or is this passage about me as well? Is this a word from God for someone else? Or is it God's word for me? Because as a eunuch, he knew full well about humiliation. He knew about justice denied. How reasonable it was for him to wonder if God was speaking to him and his own experience of being an outcast. But then Philip shows him how this passage is explained and it turns out to be better news than this guy could ever have imagined. Not only does God understand the experience of being ostracized, Jesus himself took on that lowly and humble state. A God who understands and participates, not one who sits in judgment from afar. And suddenly the labels that prevented this man from full inclusion in the assembly of the people of God, they just seem overcome. They come upon some water and the man asks Philip, what is there to prevent me from being baptized? And it's interesting to note that in almost every translation, verse 37 is missing. I don't know if you picked up on this when Aaron was reading. It skips from verse 36 to verse 38. So I'm gonna put it back up on the screen so you can see it. It says, as they were going along, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me? And then we just go right into, they baptize him. What does the missing verse say? This is what it says. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now, why would that verse be left out? It is in fact, because only one family of manuscripts out of all the manuscripts that we have of the New Testament includes that verse that demands that the Ethiopian make a confession of faith before he is baptized. It seems very clearly to be an addition to the original text, added specifically to conform this baptism to the practices of a specific group of Christians 
who began requiring a confession of faith before the baptism could occur. Almost every translator and scholar leave this out as not part of the original story. And as you might imagine, that verse has caused considerable controversy (laughs) among people who want things done right and in proper order. Deuteronomy says very plainly, this is in the Bible, okay, don't get squeamish on me. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of Yahweh. In other words, this eunuch, according to Jewish law, can never be a full member of the worshiping community. And it's true that Isaiah 56 does promise that eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths will someday be granted a place in God's house. But the question is, that language still sounds a little bit grudging, doesn't it? What sort of a place will they be granted? A back pew? A spot in the balcony? A special eunuch room? According to the rules, Philip should have answered, there's everything to prevent you from being baptized. First of all, you haven't confessed what you believed. You haven't been to baptismal classes. I'm not an ordained minister. This is not an emergency. And anyways, the church has not even approved the baptism of Gentiles, let alone random foreign Ethiopian eunuchs who are asking me to do this on the side of the road. No proper pastor would baptize you without first attending to rules, right? The church needs some good order. Without the rules, where would we be? We could just baptize anyone. It'd be ridiculous. That's how it should have gone. But what does Philip do when the completely overjoyed Ethiopian asks him to baptize him into this faith of Jesus? In verse 38, we have our answer. It says, both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down in the water and Philip baptized him. No messing around. No consulting the rules. No calling the bishop to see if it's all right. Philip doesn't answer the eunuch with any of the church's ridiculous concerns. He doesn't ask the Ethiopian if he's an open and practicing eunuch or if he's a don't ask, don't tell kind of eunuch. Nor does Philip qualify his reservations or his response with reservations like, well, we can baptize you, but we can never ordain you. Or, well, we can baptize you, but we can't promise not to discriminate against you in the future. This person, he's living in Ethiopia, so he's cut off from the land of Israel. He's a eunuch, he's in violation of the purity code. He's a member of the cabinet of the queen of Ethiopia, so he serves the wrong queen. He belongs to the wrong nation, he holds the wrong job, he possesses the wrong sexuality. And yet, Philip hears the voice of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I love this passage so much. Because the Holy Spirit speaks a different answer than the temple than the people at the, than the religious gatekeepers at the temple who said, no, you can't come in here. The Holy Spirit says, eunuch asked, what is to prevent me from being baptized? And the Spirit whispered, absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And according to the story, when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away. He just poof, disappears. Fabulous. He just disappears. And then the eunuch goes on his way celebrating. And this unnamed Ethiopian becomes the patron saint of Ethiopia, is by tradition held to be the first Christian in Ethiopia, started a church that is older than the Roman Catholic Church in Ethiopia. I was really excited when this passage came up in the lectionary for today because I feel like most people skip it. They're like, hmm. Seems like a hard passage to talk about. Maybe. 
But maybe you've been in a place just like this Ethiopian, reading the scripture and asking, what is there to prevent me? What is there to prevent me from being baptized? What is there to prevent me from belonging? Because if I read scripture, it could be argued both ways. And what I need is for someone who not just knows the words, but who knows the God of scripture. And I just want to say to you, as the spirit said to Philip and to the Ethiopian, what is to prevent you from belonging? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter what you've heard from other Christians. It doesn't matter what you've heard from churches. It doesn't matter what you've heard from religious gatekeepers. It doesn't matter. What is to prevent you from belonging? Nothing. And we're talking in this passage specifically about the sexuality of one person, but this can be extrapolated into so many things, right? So if you grew up in church like I did, the main issue was not sexuality like in the 90s. It was divorce. Maybe you remember this. If you've been divorced, you can, you can come in. But well, I don't know. You, we probably can't ordain you. In fact, I specifically remember as a child, the church that I attended got kicked out of its organization because the pastor had been previously divorced before he ever found faith. And when he became pastor, they were like, oh, sorry, can't, can't handle that. That goes against our rules. What is there to prevent you? Nothing. I feel like I need to say this a thousand times. I want to say it a thousand times. And this is why I love this passage so much and why it's so important for different as a church. What is to prevent you? Nothing. You can show up with your whole self. You can show up with all the baggage you carry. You can show up with all the ways that you've been told you're wrong. You can show up with all the ways you've been told you're lacking. And what you will find here, I hope, in my heart of hearts, is a people and a faith community that will say from the bottom of our heart that you belong here. There's not just words on a page. We want you to know the God who's beyond the Bible who comes into our everyday life and participates, who doesn't sit way afar in judgment, but says, come with your whole self and your whole identity and everything that makes you who you are. I know you've been told perhaps that you're wrong and that you're broken and that you're too much and that, and that, and that, and that, and that, and that. the list goes on and on. I know you've probably been told that, but, but God says, you belong here, you're good inside. You are who you were meant to be. There is nothing wrong with you and there is nothing to prevent you from belonging as full members of the faith community celebrated for who you are. And it's actually perfect because um, in June, date TBD, we are going to do a baptism. We've never done one (laughs) at different church, mostly because we had three services and then the whole world shut down. Um, so that d- did not happen. And I can't exactly like bring a pool in here because there's already a bubble in the floor and <laughs> we don't own this building. So the most, the only pool I could bring in here would be a kiddie pool and that would just be the most awkward baptism of all time. I could maybe like sprinkle on you with like a water bottle. 
<laughs> just so, just the experience you wanted to have in being baptized, right? So probably on a Sunday after church in June, I will pick one. <laughs> um, we'll go to the beach, or if you have a pool and you live around here and you would like to volunteer, let me know. And we, anyone who wants to be baptized can be baptized. Baptism is not what makes you part of the faith community. You're already part. Baptism is an outward symbol of something that's already happened inside of you. Just like this ring means I'm married. I could wear a ring on my finger. That doesn't mean I'm married, right? It's an outward symbol of what has already happened in my life. Thank goodness. My husband was here to take the baby. <laughs> so we're gonna do that. So stay posted. Stay posted. I guess I should stop talking. I'm running out of words. <laughs> there will, it will be on the newsletter at some point. So we have a couple songs and then I'll come back and give you a benediction. So I just invite you all to stand. I love these two songs. We did one of them at Easter and it's fabulous. Um, and then we'll pray together and then we'll have, we'll go on our way. <laughs>